Hi everyone, my name is Deepika Sen. I'm a current second year MBA candidate at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, and you're listening to the Wharton FinTech Club podcast. Today we have a very special edition of our show as we're broadcasting live from Lendit in San Francisco. The team is on the floor and very excited to be here and learn about some of the experience and insights of the innovators here today. And speaking of innovators, today we are privileged to have Ryan Rugg of R3 on our show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you, I appreciate it. So as some background, R3 is an enterprise blockchain software form focused on providing distributed ledger technologies across a range of industries, ranging from financial institutions and insurance to healthcare and shipping. R3 has an utterly incredible reach with over 300 members contributing to the development of Corda, which is their open source blockchain platform. At R3, Ryan heads up insurance strategy. In this role, she's responsible for the strategic design, development, and commercialization of blockchain applications for a specific in insurance use case. Prior to R3, Ryan worked at Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan, covering a broad range of institutions spanning from insurance clients to asset managers and banks. <clears throat> Welcome, Ryan. We're really excited to have you here today. Um, to kick things off, the first thing that we wanted to touch upon was your own career trajectory. What made you really excited about the opportunity that R3 is pursuing? And what were some of the considerations that you had in mind when you were making the leap from Morgan Stanley to a really nimble player like R3? So I actually started my career at Lehman Brothers in the technology operation group, where I got to firsthand see the inefficiencies in these large financial institutions. <laughs> um, individually reconciling data in multiple places, uh, that occurred breaks and ultimately huge expense ratios. Um, I ended up working my way from the technology to the front office where on a, from a strategic investment side, I covered asset managers and insurers and really found it fascinating and interesting and learned a ton along the way. Um, but when I read an article in 2015 about blockchain and how transformative it could truly be for the industry, I decided to take a leap of faith. Um, and I joined R3 back in 16, and I've never looked back. It's been an absolutely wonderful journey to bring large groups of banks and partners and insurers together to, as we go through the digital transformation. How would you say you've needed to adapt your working style transitioning to a company like R3? So in, in regards to my working style, you know, I've always been what some call a workaholic. You know, there's, I will say one thing that's different now is I have quite a few APAC calls at two, three o'clock in the morning versus than I used to, but um, in regards to my working style, it really hasn't changed that much. I think that this, a lot of the skill sets that I learned working at a large institution early on um, has really helped me you know, as, at a, as in the role at R3. That being said, it is a startup, so I do everything from, you know, load the dishwasher to having presentations to chief digital officers, innovation um, arms, to playing project manager, strategist, architect. So my role definitely has multiple facets. Where when I was in banking, it was pretty traditional. So R3's insurance team had a really incredible 2018, which is capped off by the migration of some of the largest insurance consortiums, RiskWalk and SureWave over to Corda. As we wind down the first quarter of 2019, what are some of the key objectives for your team to really sustain this momentum? Do you see any huge growth opportunities right around the corner? Yeah, so 2018 was really about building the network, bringing, as you said, large consortiums on and getting our first application live. So InsureWave with Maersk was our first application that went live and it was connecting a broker, insurer, reinsurer, 
um, together on one network. So when a claim came in on the ship, um, they all had the same copy at the same time. But the next phase, what we're seeing is we're starting to see the convergence of technology. So it's not just blockchain. So people are using blockchain as like the fundamental piece to organize the data. But now we're starting to see with IoT sensors and GPS, you know, InsureWave knows where the ship is, if it's in pirate waters, if it's in safe waters, it knows the age of the hull, it knows all aspects about the ship. So why does it MERSC have to have a static policy? That one policy once a year, if you could have a dynamic policy. And I think that's where you're starting to see almost reimagining the way insurance is done into a usage-based model, which is really fascinating to me. So in 2018, R3 announced the launch of the Corda Insurer Global Trial the primary goal of which seemed to be just illustrating the benefits of Corda applications in an insurance context. I was wondering if you could dig a little bit deeper into the goals of this trial, what reception's been in, in the marketplace, and how you've adapted the core Corda pro, um, product mm -hmm. with this feedback in mind. Yes, yeah, so Corda Insure was an MVP of an industry loss um, warranty, ILW. And it was really meant to orchestrate what it's like for an insurer to connect on a live network and exchange information. And we took them on an education journey. So week one was um, education for the business side folks. Um, what is consensus? What is a notary? What is a node? Uh, week two, we actually put their technology teams through certification programs. So this way, their tech teams, so you could almost, you know, if your developers knew Java, Cord is based on Kotlin, um, we could help re-resource re them. And then week three and four, we went through the architecture of what the actual project was, spun them up a node, and then five and six, they were on a live network. Um, we had over 30 participants um, on a live network with live data. Um, it was real data, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, in a production atmosphere for them to see and feel what it's like, because this technology is still very new, and a lot of people haven't experienced it. We want to be able to take everyone along the journey, if you're you know, a crusader out in the front line deploying, or if you're just learning about it right now and want to have a kind of a low risk situation, like a Corda Insure. And is there like a Corda Insure 2.0 that's going to be launched in 20, 2019 or currently in process? Do you see them continuing to come to market? Yeah, so we do them, um, to a quarter. So right now we're doing one with instant property, with mortgages. Um, we're we did one with an identity before, um, also doing one on Marco Polo, which is trade finance. We really want to help educate the industry as a whole as we go on this journey, because we do realize that it is new, and we, we feel that it's part of our role um, at R3 to help do that. And shifting from like MP, MVP to the production environment, in 2019, do you see a lot more large-scale applications being developed for Corda for an insurance use case? And what are some of them looking like and what sectors are they focused on? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, RiskBlock, which is a consortium that was formed from the institutes. The institutes is the organization that gives all the continued ed for insurance, the textbooks. Uh, they started RiskBlock back in 2017. Um, they're, they're piloting first notice of loss and proof of insurance, which will be live in Q2. Um, B3I, which is doing property catastrophe, is also going to be live um, in Q2. We have a large broker that is private right now, so we're seeing more and more um, go live, which has been wonderful. That being said, it's not easy, so we want to make sure that if we can help with the education, if we can help with the infrastructure teams and procurement, um, 
since we've been through it a few times, we try to do that as much as possible. And I'm curious, as you begin deploying more of these large-scale launches, what is that sales cycle looking like? Have you streamlined certain processes as it relates to compliance, legal, legal and other risk systems? Like, how have you created synergies there? Yeah, so we opened the Legal Center of Excellence last year. We have over 17 of the largest law firms because we really want to help educate the lawyers about this technology also. Um, some can read code, most can't. I call them unicorns that read code. To understand what a smart contract is, what are the implications of the actual you know, contract being automated uh, so we could take them along the journey. So I think it's really important as well as the questionnaires that we get. We have a library of these that we provide to different large banks and insurers to try to help accelerate their process. And again, things like Corda Insure, where we can walk people through in a low risk environment, what is it like to have a, a node behind your firewall? Do you feel comfortable from a legal standpoint, from a risk standpoint? Um, so to hopefully do these trials like this so when it actually comes to live applications, they're ready. And my final question kind of on the sector at large, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what is the largest white space that you see in terms of blockchain applications and insurance? Is there a specific sector or use case that you feel particularly bullish about that hasn't yet been touched? So I'm really bullish now on seeing like the, the convergence of multiple technologies. Um, one of our partners built an application, a POC called Next Generation Fleet Management, where they put IoT sensors on fleets of trucks that record everything from location, GPS locations to the width of the brake pad to move to a usage-based insurance model. So only when the fleet is being deployed out in the field, it would have an insurance premium attached to it. And I think that's a really fascinating area. And you, you think about as you move to um, autonomous vehicles, if you're only in the car for an hour, would you want an annual premium on that? Or would you want it for the subsector of the time you're in the car? But first, you have to be able to organize that data in a way that can you know, transfer easily from multiple insurers, from multiple individuals. And I believe that's what blockchain allows. And to pivot a little bit now, I wanted to talk, touch upon your experience as an executive across a huge range of institutions. So as a female leader at R3, at Morgan Stanley, I'm curious to dig into your approach to mentorship across the organization. During your own trajectory, have any mentors been really critical in influencing your own path? Yeah, I think mentors are really critical. And you know, I, my whole team knows that I'm an open door policy. I, have, I encourage them to come in and ask me anything. Also to have an extreme hunger to learn and never be afraid to fail. Because you know, I found early in my career, sometimes you know, if we were in a conference room, I found myself not seated at the table. I found myself in the back which now I make a point to my team, if they don't stand up when they present, if they don't have a seat at the table, I'm like, you have a voice and you're extremely intelligent or you wouldn't be at this firm. I'm like, I want you to speak up. So, and don't be afraid to fail. I'm like, we've all made mistakes. Um, even if I think about my experiences at R3, you know, back in the days of when we were just a consortium, I thought insurers were gonna be software companies and want to build their own application. It turns out they don't wanna be in the software business. They wanna deploy blockchain, but they don't wanna develop it. And I think broadly, we've seen the gender gap in both financial services and technology be very well demonstrated, particularly in the highest ranks of an organization. Given your own experiences, what insights do you have to share for companies that are really tackling that disparity? 
Yeah, so I think it starts, it, you have to have a, a bottoms-up as well as a top-down approach. You have to have the right talent. So when I was at Morgan Stanley, I ran the diversity program. And the first year there, they asked me to have a 50-50%, 50 women, 50 men uh, percentage of the class. Well, the amount of applicants that were women were less than 10%. So it was really difficult to get that quota. Um, that being said, I'm like, I don't want to lower the standard, lower the bar just to have more diversity. I want top candidates. I want like intelligent people. Otherwise, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you bring in, you know, not as ambitious and eager and intelligent people just to reach a quota versus actually bringing in talent. So I do the same thing in R3. Um, my team is actually over 50% female. Um, so we have a really diverse team with multiple backgrounds. We have everyone from PhD to lawyers. So it's been, it's been a wonderful journey. Um, and you know, it, it's important as you move up the ranks because you want the senior management to have a bigger pool to choose from to meet, to meet diversity needs. And what is your approach to getting more candidates in the door, especially at a place like R3 mm -hmm. where the product itself is incredibly technical, difficult to understand? How do you solve that knowledge gap, so to speak? Yeah, I do a ton of women in blockchain events where I speak to either large groups or small groups one-on-one. -on -one. We invite schools, a lot of universities, into the office where we, a multitude of us do like teach-ins to help kind of educate um, Again, I have an open door policy. I give everyone my card and I mean it when I say it. Please reach out with any questions you have because don't be afraid to ask. That's so interesting about the women in blockchain networking events. Could you tell us a little bit more about your involvement in that group and what participation looks like and how you've really measured success for those learning initiatives? There's a, there's a lot of different groups around the city that I've participated in. At R3, we actually have a women's... Um, blockchain club where we just meet and, and talk about different issues, everything from tech, technical issues to larger issues to diversity issues. It's really kind of a place that's meant to be comforting for people to kind of open up and talk about anything. Yeah, actually based on my own experience, having those safe spaces and places to talk and like ask the dumb questions that you might be afraid to raise your hand with on yes. a corporate conference table, um, those are really important to have. Good. So glad to hear that R3 has a similar approach. Um, so my final question, I think, um, hits quite clo close to home for me. So I'm a current MBA candidate, and I'm a member of an organization that has over 350 students that are really interested in the intersection between finance and technology. I'm curious, do you have any advice for students that are seeking opportunities in the sector? What should we be really looking for in terms of either a role or an organization as we plot out our next steps? So we do a lot of work with universities. We did a pitch challenge this year. I actually think Wharton participated where um, actually a student, the student that won it gets $15,000. They get access to our senior management where we actually have, we bring the students in and they get to pitch their idea to our senior management. And we really want to give them access to um, our company from all different levels. So that's one thing R3 does. I would say events like this, like Lendit, are wonderful because you have um, kind of a cross intersection of FinTech, blockchain, P2P lending. Um, don't be afraid to network. You know, some of the best management team I know are extreme, have massive networks. So I think that's a really good way to do. And all the free events. I mean, there's a ton of meetups that are around. There's Empire Startups that does events. Go to these events, meet with people because 
I've found a lot of the times jobs are created. They're not necessarily an opening, but they may create, if, you're, if you have the right skill set and the right fit, they will create a job for you. To that point, I'm curious, like as a candidate, what has been your approach to gauging you know, company cultural fit and job fit as well? I mean, when you were evaluating the opportunity at R3, like three or four years ago, the company was much different mm -hmm. than it looks like now. How did you know that that was, you know, the right next step for you in that moment? You know, it was really, I think, the aha moment when I read that blockchain article on The Economist. It was just like, if this technology was around, when I first started my career, it could have really changed the way. And, you know, having been firsthand in an operation technology role and seen the inefficiencies, I just decided that, and working for the R3 like management team, you know, I think it's really important, the leaders of a company, to make sure from a cultural side, but as well as a leadership side, they have the right background and the right drive to kind of bring that together, especially with blockchain, the network together. So I would say when you're evaluating, look at the management team, look at the directory, like look at the funding, um, especially if you're going to a startup, um, because those are some of the key kind of, you know, things you look at. Of course. All right, well, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. This has been an incredibly informative discussion, and we're excited for your talk tomorrow at 11.15. Thank well. you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks. Thanks.